Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 121 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. It's been a little bit. My name is Trevor Powers, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, it's been a busy week and a half, two weeks for us. I was traveling last week. You're traveling this week for some weddings. So good opportunity to apologize to our loyal listeners for not getting here. Um, But I will say the murmurs on the social media and the, the backside ground balls, Reddit posts are saying that you've been flaking the podcast because the Phillies lost and, and you can't face the music. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a fair thing for people to think I'm here to say that's not true. Um, Look, we have a lot going on. We have some, it's some, podcast stuff that we have to announce here soon too so like it we've been doing a lot of stuff unfortunately that means that our 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 time to record has taken a back seat did it coincidentally and and maybe lucky for me coincide with the fact that the phillies uh blew a, a series to the diamondbacks and the chance to capture an nl pennant um yes and uh, sometimes that is fortunate timing and, and I'll, I'll face whatever music you want me to face today. I'm not one of those fans. I'm not one of those people. Um, I'm not blaming the format. Um, I'm not blaming anything other than baseball. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And you, and you're right about the podcast announcements. We're going to, we're going to work on getting those, those out and obviously heading in a, in a good direction for, for us and for our listeners are, are really going to enjoy that. But let's obviously talk about the Diamondbacks Philly series. I mean, the last time we were on here, I mean, we basically sat here and said that we'd be surprised if it went six, right? I would have been surprised if it went back to Philly. And looking back at it, at the time, the Phillies were obviously up to nothing heading to Arizona, right? They had a commanding lead. I mean, it's been that long since we've been on here to talk about this. 
And I really think, and I would love to know your take, like as the outsider in this specifically, I know once I, once I got to game seven and, and watched that whole thing unfold, the energy that the Phillies had brought up to game three of the NLCS was different, right? It kind of seemed like they kicked it into cruise control. And I know that Garrett Stubbs comments took a lot of heat through this scenario, which is just, I mean, bulletin board material or not, Arizona Diamondbacks are playing for their season. It's not because of Garrett Stubbs, right? But it did seem to a certain extent that, you know, we bought into it as outsiders. It seemed like one through 25, they bought into the fact that they were going to be just walking into the world series again. And they really didn't bring energy in game three. And I know in game four, they blew a lead and that's kind of a tough situation, but I think game three was really that swing game that allowed the diamondbacks to be like, we're here and and we can win this still. Yeah. I mean, the Garrett Stubbs thing, I think is, is just as stupid as the RC. Like it's the Darcia thing. Like it doesn't actually matter if the diamondbacks want to make it matter. They're allowed to, no one should be blaming Garrett Stubbs, just like no one should blame Orlando Arcia. Like, and luckily no one on the Phillies was like, wow, no one was supposed to hear that and like made it a big deal. Like the Braves are the ones who gave credit to that thing. Garrett Stubbs thing, like whatever. I don't necessarily think game three was the swing game. Um, to me, it's game four. The Phillies mm-hmm. blow a three-run lead in the eighth inning and lose uh, a heartbreaker. And then win game five. Whereas if you hold, if you get the last six outs and then you win game five, the series is over and you don't even have to go back to Philadelphia. And then you go back to Philadelphia, you have to win once. They have to beat you twice. And you didn't get the job done. Um, And it's like on the whole, there's no, there's no one side or or one group or or one person to blame for the Phillies. It was kind of collectively. and, And that's, a credit to the Diamondbacks, but it's also to me, the Phillies are the better roster. Um, so I'm going to look at them, you know, the Diamondbacks look, they've, they've taken advantage and they've, they've played really good baseball and they've gotten performances from guys who I, I think they're overperforming who they are and that can happen in baseball. And that's all you need at this time of year. That's why we talk about the postseason being different than the regular season over 162. The Diamondbacks aren't much better than an 84 win team. That's what we saw. That's who they are. That's what that roster looks like. In the postseason, though, they get hot. and they can. They, I mean, it's like they went back to the first half Diamondbacks who were in the first place in the NL, NL West. And that can happen when you take snapshots in baseball. But for the Phillies, if you look at the last five games of that series, their bullpen did not have a 1-2-3 inning. They did not have a clean inning. The, the bullpen did not have a clean inning in five games. That's terrible. The offense did not produce. And, you know... I was getting into arguments. The only time I was defending the Phillies, I was getting into argument. I got into, I wouldn't say an argument, but I got into a conversation with someone about, well, that's why you can't rely on the long ball. It's like, come on, like spare me with that. I think is, is my answer because, you know, the Diamondbacks out homered the Phillies in every game except for game seven. Um, and so a one game snapshot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sure the home run thing didn't work out for the Phillies then, but the offense went cold. They didn't have good at bats. Nick Castellanos homered in his first at bat of the series, didn't have a hit the rest of the way. They pitched around Harper. Schwarber did a great job. He carried him, but Turner um, went ice cold. Um, 
Bob and Stott weren't very good in the series, and the Phillies got beat. Like, look, Merrill Kelly did a great job in game six. The Diamondbacks' bullpen outpitched the Phillies' bullpen games one through seven. The entire series did an, a fantastic job. You see guys come in and, and get outs, and you're like, these guys aren't that good. You let them have quick innings, and that's really how the series was won. And then anything can happen in a game seven. I mean, yeah. just, the, the Diamondbacks had, I think – been a while now, but I, I knew this when the game ended in the next couple days. But I think the Dimebacks had four hits under 90 miles an hour in game seven. The Phillies had four outs above 95. Yeah, and that happens. That happens. And I want to talk about the the offensive piece there since you brought it up. And, and I, something that as we've watched in the playoffs, I mean, it's infuriating to me. I mean, this year's kind of been the – I mean, they at the beginning of the playoffs, they sat there on every broadcast and talked about how the team that out-homers the other team and, and all the things like that. And I, I've never truly bought into the game-by-game out-homer your opponent you're going to win. I think it's more about the, the multi-home run. That's what I've kind of been on since day one is the team that can, you know, three-run home runs win in the playoffs. And and while home runs themselves win in the playoffs, three-run home runs win in the playoffs. And, I mean, they talk about it. it it's so cool to hear people talking like that and talking about the, the long ball being the difference. And Ian Happ on his podcast was pretty much what you and I have said for, for three years. And I'm, I'm not saying that Ian Happ learned this from us. I'm just saying it's a it's a refrain that's pretty common in, in circles and across the MLB was when you face the best relievers, when you face the best starters, you don't string together hits enough to score four runs. You don't. You don't string together hits enough to score two runs. You're lucky if you string together enough hits itself to score one. The home run is the ultimate game changer because there's not a single pitcher in this league that cannot get clipped at any given moment, right? Some might get clipped more than others. Lance Lynn compared to a, you know, another top of the line starter, but you cannot just go into a playoffs and say like our pitcher's never going to get clipped. Everybody across baseball gets clipped occasionally. And it's being able to stack those again, bloop, single blast, bloop, single blast. And I think that's one thing that's like, we get so hyper fixated on, well, you can't rely on the long ball. And I completely agree. I think that the best offenses and what has made the Diamondbacks run so unique. And while I will kind of agree, like you can't just rely on the long ball. I'm I'm not sitting here saying that I'm, I'm faulting the Phillies for their lineup construction, but it's being able to win in different ways, right? It's being able to have a day, whether you go up to Philly and the comparison, like it's cold and it's night and the wind's a brisk pace in and pitcher, you know, you're facing a sinker baller who really, you know, he might get hit, but he doesn't get clipped. And you see the Diamondbacks in game seven. How many stolen bases did they have? on the best catcher in baseball, right? Like being able to find that, hey, how can we manufacture runs? And again, I'm not saying that the Phillies can't do this. Again, you mentioned the fact that they had four outs above 95 plus, which is a huge game changer. I mean, that's just luck to begin with, right? To have balls that are hit that hard and not fall. And then they had four hits under 90 plus. Like, yeah, but being able to have, when you don't have your ultimate, like, go-to card, what do you have in your back pocket? And I think that's what the Diamondbacks have done really well is they've started to homer more than we had expected coming into the playoffs, right? Like this is not a lineup that we circle like six or seven guys like the Phillies and say, this guy could hit 30, this guy could hit 30, this guy could hit 40, this guy could hit 40. They have a couple guys that can challenge 30, 
35, 40, Christian Walker, Corbin Carroll, those guys. But I think what was really impressive and where I will agree with the sentiment that you can't only rely on the long ball is they manufactured runs in game seven and, and manufactured runs against a team that at least from a catching perspective, not many teams try to manufacture runs against, right? Like nobody even tries to run on JT Real Muto at this point in his career. And it's just, it's super, it's kind of that dynamic. And we can talk about it with the Texas Rangers because I think it's even more impressive um, what they've done and what Donnie Ecker and what their offensive philosophy has done in on that side. And they've caught so much traction for being the team that plays the game the right way, quote unquote, but um, we can talk about that in a second. But I think that's what's super impressive about the Diamondbacks run so far is that they're a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, exactly. And I I, I mean, it, it wasn't like the Phillies were punching out. Like that's the thing that bothers like the homeowner, but it's like the Phillies weren't punching out at a much higher rate than the Diamondbacks were. They just weren't getting on base at the rate the Diamondbacks were. And a lot of that was, I mean, the Phillies bullpen giving up free bases in the walks. Diamondbacks bullpen didn't do that. The Diamondbacks just finding holes. And that's baseball. Like, that happens. That's okay. You know, some people want to call it luck. No, that's baseball. It happens too much in the sport for, to, sure, if you want to use that phrase, luck can be that. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And I, I agree. I think the Phillies, like, if you look at the Phillies numbers, the back, you know, from when they went to Arizona on, their numbers with running runners in scoring position were terrible. The Diamondbacks and the games they won were great with runners in scoring position. And like, there it is. Like that's, that is a padlock stat as our friend Josh Pate would say, like there, like if you just looked at the, the numbers with runners in scoring position and you said, you know, the Diamondbacks ran in game seven, game six. I didn't, their, their running all came late and it came when they were already up by four. So it was like, you know, I, to me, it was like, that doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. Like this game's the Phillies offense can't do anything. But game seven, yes, the game seven, it was like, look at them going. And what's funny is the Phillies, I think, more so not running when they had opportunities to. And, and again, their base stealers didn't get on base in this series. Like that was a big part of it. Trey Turner wasn't on to steal. And he wasn't going to run because this might be Harper's only shot and bomb. You know, there's been a lot of flack at Rob Thompson for the line of construction. And, and, you know, those are all, th- I get it. Those are, those are Philadelphia fans and, and you need reasons to explain what happened because it was like, because everybody, especially in Philadelphia was like, well, they're up two nothing. They just won this game 10, nothing. They're going to Arizona. Arizona doesn't stand a chance. The pitching matchups were so much in the Phillies favor the rest of the series. It didn't work out that way. Um, but you know, that that's baseball and Arizona has done, you know, this has been an incredible run and, and they've gotten contributions for guys that, from guys that you just don't expect. Like Alec Thomas has been tremendous. Tommy Pham, especially, you know, he wasn't great in the Philly series, but in every other series he's been fantastic. It's like mm-hmm. Tommy Pham, guy who gets traded every deadline is a bench piece. It's like yeah. hitting in the middle of this lineup, carrying them, especially Cattell when Marte you look at- Marte has an 18-game hitter. Mar- well, and Cattell Marte is underrated, in yeah. my opinion. Like he's great. I think he's fantastic, but like- the thing with Tommy Pham is like if Tommy Pham was playing like you would expect Tommy Pham to play, I think the Diamondbacks aren't in this position when you look at the fact that to be their best offensive player right now or their scariest offensive player in Christian Walker has not been good. Um, but guys have picked up the slack. Arizona's done a great job in their starting pitching and, and how they've done with their pitching has been incredible because Merrill Kelly's a guy that I don't think is very good. Brandon Fott is a guy I don't think is very good. They're rolling bullpen games in game fours and they're winning. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's impressive. Um, it's, it's a very similar to the Phillies last year. We'll see if it plays out the same or different in the world series here. They're one, one, just like the world series last year. 
it'd be impressive. But let's let's talk a little bit about this Rangers club. Yeah, I I absolutely love what the Rangers have been able to do up to this point. Obviously, with their with their offense kind of being the focal point, and and it's been super impressive. Obviously, to take down the Houston Astros four to three in a in a CS is is a huge deal. That's a team that's been there, done that, you know. And and the Rangers continue to handle adversity phenomenally. I mean, both these series went to seven games. Obviously, the Rangers had to win those those ones late. You know, Adolis Garcia gets a bench clearing brawl and, and just the, just dynamic. That was just electric. Um, after wearing that, that pitch from Brian Abreu and, and, you know, all the, that was, that was a tough transition because it, it felt like that was kind of what was going to be like, okay, this is the end of the Rangers, right? Like you, you see a moment like that. They have the bench clearer, they get a they're up and then they just blow it. Right. And, and they had their guy on the mound and everything seemed to be falling into place for them to take a commanding lead heading back to Houston. And it's just like, just kind of falls flat. And it's one of those things where I kind of expected, Oh, all right, here we go again. You know, a team that plays Houston gets bit by the bug, but they've really handled the situation from there on out phenomenally. And then they take a huge commanding lead on a on a starting pitcher that had dominated them earlier in the season in Christian Javier. And it was super impressive what they're able to do. And, and we can kind of talk in more detail about what they were able to do against Christian Javier and what their adjustment was. Um, but what were your kind of thoughts of, of the Texas Rangers ability to handle that, that kind of punch in the throat of, of game game five before they went back to Houston? I mean, I think it just speaks so much to what they're doing and what they've been able to do in this postseason. I mean, because like you said, you know, you you blow that lead at home, you know, and and and, and now you're all of a sudden you're you're kind of staring down the barrel after you had a chance to take the commanding lead in the series. Now you give it up and you have to go back to their place. It's just it, like you said, it kind of felt like like ah, oh, this is it. Like I had a good, good fight. They had a good run in the postseason, but this is what the Astros do to teams. So to be able to then respond, and it's crazy that a home team didn't win a single game in that series. It's just wild um, to think about. Um, but Houston have been pretty bad at home all year, and they've yeah. been great in Texas all year. Yeah, um, second time that's happened to the Astros too in the playoffs. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it, it's just it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's it's incredible, really. Um, it was the first time the 19 World Series? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's incredible what, what Texas did in that series. And um, a lot of credit to Adolis Garcia. Like, it just shows, I think, this could be completely off base, but this just feels like the, my thought right now is, like, it's just credit to Bruce Bochy. And this is what Bruce Bochy brings, just the calmness, that like, of, of having the faith in your guys, of having been in every single situation in the postseason, every single situation there is in baseball, as someone who's been in baseball fifer and is like 150 years old and has managed for 150 years after playing for 75. It's like this is kind of what he can bring you and why they brought him in to be the manager. It's like I give so much credit to him for keeping an even keel in that clubhouse and being able to say, okay, yeah, we just dropped three at home. Game five was ours. The bench is clear, and all of a sudden the Astros wake up, and we lose. And now we got to go there, and, and we have to win two. Like that could go really poorly, really quickly, especially like you said with Javier on the mound. And they didn't. And and I think Bruce Bochy, that influence that he had, and, and obviously all the players, and Garcia for being able to get up off the mat and and just be like, whatever, let's move on to the next day. It's what you need this time of year. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that so many people get caught up in the Bruce Brochy stuff and saying that it's, oh, old school. No, it's just experience, right? It's experience and calm, cool, collective nature, right? Like we've seen it with a couple managers that the moment speeds up on them, right? The guys that haven't been there, the guys that can slow the moment down and keep their heart rate down, it it makes things a lot easier for, I mean, it's, it's a credit to what Tori Lovello is doing as well. Like he's keeping them focused. He's keeping them ready to, and prepared to win those games. And he's doing a really good job of it. And it's, that's the benefit of experience. It's not necessarily this old school manager who, who's managing things in a different way. Like the narrative wants to be pushed from, from people across baseball, but it's more along the lines of just a guy who has been in that situation so many times like this guy does not lose sleep over decisions that could impact the world series because this is his fourth right like this is his fourth since 2010 like it's not even like we're talking about over the the wealth of a huge 40-year career i mean this is his fourth in the last 13 years which is just crazy to think about and and kind of we don't give enough even when he walked away from the giants and was retired for a little bit i don't think we give enough credit for the fact that he might be one of the greatest managers ever, right, to to do it and to be able to do it in multiple situations. I mean, we've seen guys that go on and win, you know, multiple World Series, but they'd struggled in the past. It's like this guy is just a walking, you know, just winner, right? He's a winner, and it's it's really cool to see, and it's a credit to, to the Texas Rangers for making that decision. But let's talk a little bit about, obviously, the Christian Javier. He, he only got it at, at one out in the first, and the Texas Rangers were able to – um, knock him out quick and and put the game basically in Dusty Baker's hands, which you know was something I'm sure they felt comfortable doing, especially when JP France went out there and hung like a five spot in the in the top of the fourth to to give them basically a commanding lead there, um, which was an interesting decision. But where, where are you going to go at that point when you've already pulled your starter in, in inning one? But one of the things that they had talked about, Christian Javier, we've talked about this plenty of times. He has a a high spin, high vertically moving fastball. It's one of the best in the game. It's why he's dominated over stretches through multiple playoffs, through multiple seasons, and was a lot of people's pick to be a Cy Young candidate um, year in and year out from here on on forward. And it can eat guys alive, right? And we've heard it several times. I mean, every every time the broadcast was talking about it, they were showing highlights of, of guys, quote unquote, missing on top, right? Aiming above the baseball. It's something that we've talked about on here for, for years because that's something Alex Bregman, you know, I talked about a long time ago, um, talking about how he, you know, when a guy has a high vertically moving fastball, he shaves the top half of the baseball and instead of focusing, you know, square even to the point of, of catching the baseball square. And I just find it so cool because Donnie Ecker, he he's a guy that that both of us have followed for a couple of years now. You know, he's he's one of the guys that came from the college ranks and now he's the bench coach and offensive coordinator. He's been major league baseball for a couple of years now and and just hearing him talk about you know their offensive philosophy and how they do things it's kind of exactly like we talked about with the Diamondbacks they want to win in multiple ways right this is a team that with Adolis Garcia with Corey Seager with these guys that are really really good players can can hit bombs right they can challenge the fence but when Christian Javier presented them with a situation where they had to readjust their offensive approach and and kind of recalibrate the way they expect to make contact with the baseball and they did it very I mean over the course of two starts for Christian Javier, that's how quick they made these adjustments. And it's just super impressive to see that 
you know, this Texas Ranger to hear these things because it's things that are talked about behind the scenes a lot of times, you know, but in the coaching world and obviously the player development world to kind of hear this being brought to to light and, and hear them talking about it is really cool to see it kind of work out on a national stage of a team making these adjustments and, and going from there. Yeah, and I really think that first inning, how much did that Seeger homer just kind of I, I calm the nerves of Texas? You know, it, it, similar, you know, like just that situation of here's this guy who's basically a postseason Goliath. He's dominated us. And Seeger, your best player, comes out and first, you know, first at bat takes him deep. And everyone kind of just relaxed. And then to your point, then they go about, you know, their offense, how it's constructed. They go about, you know, just getting on top of baseballs, putting balls in play hard, stealing bases in that first inning, and really just going full pressure. And I think sometimes in baseball, in postseason baseball too, what you see a lot of is teams almost play on the defensive when they're hitting, right? Mm-hmm play on the defensive of, of we got a really good pitcher on the mound. We got to work counts. You got to, you know, I don't want to give away at bats. And then when we get on, I don't want to give away outs. And, and, mm-hmm. and they kind of play this defensive style. And to me, that's the opposite of what you should be trying to do, especially in the playoffs. And you saw Arizona do it in Philly. And then you saw Texas here. It's like, no, like I'm not going to worry about like, if I, if I'm facing a really good pitcher and I try and work counts, I'm behind your two strikes and now it becomes even harder to hit those guys and you're in between, right? When you see guys try and work at counts with guys with nasty stuff, then you're, you see those in between swings where you're super late on a fastball, fouling it off. And then you're way out in front of a slider. It's like, well, that, that just tells me he's in between because he's not on one or the other. And then they get on base and they run wild because it's like, we have to force the issue here. If we sit back and let him dictate this game, it, like we talked about all the time with these good pitchers in the playoffs, it's a sixth inning. You blink and it's a sixth inning. And you're like, oh boy, we got nine outs left to work with and we're trailing mm-hmm. this game. So to, to you know, be on the aggressive there, um, that's a beautiful thing. And that's what makes this World Series matchup so fun. I know it's two not huge markets and fans aren't happy about the way it turned out and all those other storylines. But if you just look at the two teams and the two styles of these two teams, neither team is going to sit back and let each other breathe like they're going to go 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 whether it's long ball whether it's just traffic and running and 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 things like that and you're going to see you know pitchers who are trying to attack um and that's what kind of makes this you know a world series that that i would think is going to going to go the distance to be honest like it's going to be back and forth like we've seen through the first two games yeah, and I think the, the the coolest part of it all when, when you talk about those, you know, those styles is that's what they had done throughout the season, right? I think so many times, and this is at all levels of baseball, we get into these higher leverage games, these higher outcome games that matter a little bit more, and we want to change what works, right? And what we've done that has worked and things like that. I think what Texas and Arizona have done really well throughout the playoffs is whether you want to say like they're playing with house money, whether you want to say any, they're, they're aggressive, 
whatever your thought process is, it's just plain and simple. The fact that they are who they are and they're going to play to win the game the way they are. Right. And they, the game that they played for 162 that got them in the playoffs is going to be the game that they're going to play in the playoffs. And so many times we see offensive that, like you said, they, they change their approach or they change what they're looking for because they're facing a, you know, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander type level starter. That's, that's the elite of the elite. And, you can't do that, right? You can't be on your heels and expect to win, right, in these situations. And and I think that's something that's super important to to keep in mind. And like you said, I mean, now now styles make fights, right? Now you got two teams that are hyper aggressive on the way they like to play offense and and do things in multiple different ways. And and now you got a thing of beauty in in them battling it out with each other as they they head into the to at Arizona, uh, which will be tonight, um, and, and super exciting. And as it stands right now, the series is tied one, one. And quite frankly, I mean, you said it's going to go the distance. Like I'm sure if Arizona is kicking themselves at this point in time, because they blew a lead late in game one, they could easily be up two Oh. And obviously we've seen in, with the Philly series and, and obviously going, um, back to Houston with Texas down, that means nothing at this point in time. Um, that those early games mean nothing, but you know, what have you seen so far? Obviously Texas has had a lot of grit and, and playing those games well in game one, but Game two was kind of a kind of a slaughter on Arizona's half, and they're heading into Arizona with a lot of momentum. Yeah, and I think that with both these teams throughout the playoffs, they've shown that the previous game doesn't matter. Yeah. The previous game does not matter to either one of these teams. Like the Diamondbacks have done a good job responding at every point, and I guess more so in the NLCS, they cruised through the first two rounds. But in the CS, it didn't matter what happened the game before. They were showing up to play that that game. They were solely focused there, and the Rangers, the same thing. And again, we talked about a lot of that influence comes from Bruce Bochy. I guess we should give some credit to Tori Lovello for the same thing in Arizona where, sure, the Diamondbacks blew game one. That that hurt. You know, they, they had a lead in the eighth inning. They're back into their bullpen, Paul, or in the ninth inning. Paul Seawald, who's been outstanding all postseason, gives it up, and that was kind of crushing. Then they lose it in the 11th on the Garcia homer. And it's kind of like that can be deflating. You're on the road, that happens. You had a chance to steal game one. No, they didn't care. They came out game two and they just put it to Texas. Again, they ultra aggressive. Jordan Montgomery, who's been outstanding, you know, he gets through six innings, but they get the early lead and then they just continue to chip away and they continue to pound and then they, they break it open late and it's a 9-1 game. It's not even close. They're, Merrill Kelly doesn't, he was kind of the story of the night. Just another dominant outing from him, which is, crazy to say um but again texas is not going to care that they got beat 9-1 at home they, they're so what they're going to be solely focused on game three they're going to be you know right where they need to be they're going to be prepared they're not going to care like the momentum thing is going to be so game to game in this series i don't think there's going to be a momentum swinging victory in this entire series because both teams their best qualities right now are the fact that they are just focused on that day's game and playing right there. They're not getting ahead of themselves. They're not worrying about what's happened. They're just in that moment, inning by inning. And uh, to me, that's really kind of been the biggest thing in this entire series. 
Yeah, and it definitely will be moving forward as well. Um, is that you know these teams just take punches and they just get right off the mat and and head back out there for another round, and it seems like it's just no factor to them. And it's kind of funny because they've kind of both been built differently, right? You have the Arizona Diamondbacks that were you know obviously not built through free agency. It was a lot of savvy drafts and development and young guys playing out of their out of their shoes right now and and coming up and playing at the right time. And then obviously when you talk about the Texas Rangers. It's Corey Seager, it's Marcus Simeon, and obviously Adolis Garcia was a, a savvy move, and Josh Jung was drafted and developed by them, and Nathaniel Lowe, and all these guys, and Evan Carter specifically. I mean, anybody wants to, to dive in on how that draft came about, um, of them being able to get him in the fifth round of the COVID year. It's a really cool story um, for, for him and, and being able to, for their talent identification, um, super impressive. He was somebody that wasn't on the radar for, every other team in the MLB and they nabbed him and, you know, he's a top 10 prospect before debuting this year, but it'll be super fun to watch these games. Obviously, like I mentioned, game three is in Arizona tonight. Um, as we record on, on Tuesday morning or Monday morning, Whew. um, <laughs> but, uh, what, what's kind of your gut feel on how you think this series is going to unfold the rest of the way. Obviously you already mentioned the fact that you think it's going to go the distance, but who, who do you think comes out on top and, and what do you think the X factor is for, for each of these teams? it's so hard to make a prediction here because this really truly feels like the announcer cliche series where it's like, who can come up with the big hit? Whose bullpen Mm -hmm. can hold a lead? And it's just like, you don't know. Um, I just, there's something about Arizona right now to me. There is something about Arizona right now to me. Gallon hasn't been great. I expect him to at least give me one dominant performance. I think what they have going on with, just these guys that like Geraldo Perdomo being a pain in the butt to get out and uh, Paven Smith and Alec Thomas. And then obviously Carol and Marte at the top. And we talked about Tommy fan. There's just something going on. And like, I look at the Rangers lineup and I'm like, I like pretty much every single, like mm-hmm. outside of Cattell Marte. It's like, I'd rather have you look at the two hole. I'd rather have Seager than Cor- uh, Corbin Carroll. I'd rather have Evan Carter than Moreno. I'd rather have, Adolis Garcia than than Christian Walker. I'd rather have Mitch Gar like I can go down the whole thing. I'd rather have every single one of the Rangers guys outside of Cattell. But Arizona's just got something working. They're getting on base. They're putting pressure on. And so for me, I think it's gonna come down to the bullpens. I think I think that's the X factors. Which bullpen continues to get outs because neither bullpen is like looking back to the regular season. Neither bullpen is very good. Neither bullpen like both bullpens have a ton of question marks. Both have been able to get the job done this postseason who can continue to do that you saw you know uh, uh, texas and the cs their bullpen couldn't close out game five in game one of this world series you saw arizona's bullpen not be able to get the job done so who can continue to get that out and not you know have the blown saves and have the leads blown that's what it's going to come down to because i think these teams right now the way they're both playing are just so evenly matched up starting pitching wise gallon and kelly followed by question marks. And then you have Montgomery and Evaldi followed by question marks, you know, which is crazy to say about Scherzer, but he hasn't, he's hurt and he's pitching, you know, he's able to give you three innings maybe. So I think it's going to come down to who can, whose bullpen can kind of, you know, keep the other offense at bay when you're looking at two, you know, offenses who can strike at any point. Yeah, definitely. And I I think I'm I'm with you on the bullpens. That was kind of my question marks coming into the, 
the CSs with both these teams. It was like, yep. what are you getting out of Texas's bullpen? And then what are you getting out of Arizona's bullpen? And both have done enough to win. Obviously, they wouldn't be that where they are right now. But again, my, my X factor has to still come down to what happens in game three and game four for Arizona specifically, right? Brandon Faft has been really good, um, almost like you know, getting a little hype right now. And, and obviously people are loving up on him for what he's been able to do. And he got a lot of swings and misses against the Phillies. He'd pitched really well up to that point as well. Is that going to continue? Cause this would be a huge win for them. And then obviously where is Arizona game going game four? And I know like when you look at the Rangers, they don't exactly have, you know, elite of the elite going out there, right? Scherzer's banged up. What are you going to get out of him? And um, obviously Andrew Heaney hasn't exactly been, you know, a a lockdown uh, arm this postseason. But again, when I talk about Faf versus Scherzer, I think that like, it's like, and even Heaney versus, Heaney versus question mark. Right. And, and again, it's sometimes teams have it. You mentioned, I mean, you watched obviously every second of the Phillies versus the Diamondbacks and, um, you just sometimes when you watch teams like that, you kind of just again you feel it. You're like this team just has something rolling right now. It's going well, but it, that's got to be my X factor for that. But I, you know, you know me, I'm a slave for for talent. I'm a slave for roster construction. I I don't go with the the voodoo magic. I, I think the Rangers are the better team. I, I could see it going the distance. I think again, both are playing really good baseball at this point in time. But I just think that that flat out that the Rangers are a better lineup. They're a better team. I'm going to hang my hat on the fact that I thought they were the better team in against Houston, right? I, I, I genuinely believe that they, they were the more complete team at that point in time, and that's the reigning World Series champion. So I, I got to continue to ride with the Rangers here. And, and But Arizona is a fun story. I mean, this is an 84-win team that's playing their best baseball right now and a lot of young guys that are playing really good baseball as well. But I'm going to stick with the Rangers here and, and go with my gut there. I'll tell you what, the biggest X factor tonight in Game 3 – with Brandon Fodd on the mound. And I went back because it was driving me crazy after game three of that Philly series, and then you saw it a little bit in game seven. They went and got him when the Phillies kind of figured it out finally. Is Guys aren't swinging at strikes against him. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit. You then look at his, you know, sometimes you're like, well, chase rate, you know, that's a real thing. Some guys have, he doesn't. And so it's just like guys have been over-aggressive against him. If the Rangers can force him into the zone, which the Phillies didn't do it all in game three and didn't do until the third or fourth inning of game seven. I think the Rangers have, that's, that's where the advantage comes in. Brandon Fott can't get outs in the zone right now at the major league level at a, at a high enough rate to be, to win a world series game, in my opinion, you know, so if Texas is disciplined up there and they take their walks and, and that's why like Corey Seager, huge tonight, Simeon, like some of those guys, you feel like they can, but then does Garcia with chances to drive in runners, get overly aggressive, which is what you saw a lot of what the Phillies were doing. I, I, I mean, even I think it was in that, again, I had this in the top of my head when it was fresh. In that game seven through like the first two innings, the only pitches uh, where the at, the only at-bats where the last pitch was in the zone for a strike, actually in the strike zone, was a home run by Alec Baum, a single, and a fly out to the warning track. The other six outs he had gotten were all pitches out of the zone. And so it was like, I, like if you can make Brandon Fott be in the zone, and you don't just chase, 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 one time through the order, and they will have to come get him. But teams haven't been able to do that. The Dodgers couldn't do that. The Phillies couldn't do that. 
So, you know, if, if, you know, you talk about how great Donnie Ecker has been, I think to me, if I'm sitting in there talking about a game plan to attack this kid who they haven't seen, just like the other teams hadn't, it's you have to stay disciplined and be in the zone. Have you seen Corey Seager's uh, swing data? It's freakish. He's like, he swings at like 99% of the pitches that are middle of the plate. Like, and then swings at nothing. Like people. And this time of year. Yeah. They're not throwing. You know what I mean? So he is like, it is so impressive. And because you have to be dialed in because if I, if I'm pitching against the Rangers now, Garcia being behind him is huge right now for them. But it's like, if I'm a pitcher or a pitching coach trying to game plan for the Rangers, it's like, yeah, we're not going to throw Corey Seager anywhere in within the 17 inches because and he, for him to not get frustrated, you know, a month into this run and expand, like you see even saw Harper a little bit, try and play hero ball and expand. Now, if the Diamondbacks get the Rangers on their heels again, will Seager change his game plan? You know, those are the little cat and mouse things that you have within these series, but so far it's been incredible. Yeah. And, and for our listeners that, that don't know what I was talking about with Seager's, there's been stuff surfacing basically like, Corey Seager swings at everything in the heart of the plate his and then swings at nothing outside of the strike zone, which is just like – because usually what you'll see with, with a lot of guys that swing at everything down the middle of the plate, they also swing a lot. So like it's kind of just like a general – like like Javier Baez just swings at, at everything. everything. Yeah, Javier Baez swings at everything in the middle of the plate. He also swings at everything on the East Coast. So like it, it doesn't really matter that much. But to be able to swing at everything in the middle, you see those guys that don't – like guys that don't swing at anything outside of the zone, the Max Monsies of the world, they also don't swing at all. It's like Corey Seager is able to kind of find the middle ground of being able to swing at everything that is d- considered damage pitches but also not chase anything that is outside of that window of, of what he considers um, damage pitches. And it's just, it's unbelievable like that. Again, I, I was having this conversation and, and with somebody, you know, while Aaron judge is the elite of the elite, right. And I, I love Aaron judge and he's one of the best players. And I saw a funny stat, his expected slugging was actually a hundred points higher than his actual slugging this year. And he hit 32 bombs in like 90 games. So uh, putting in perspective what Aaron judge would have done if, if things broke his way this year. But um, when you look at Jordan Alvarez, when you look at Corey Seager, when you look at Juan Soto's, these guys that can hit for power, but also are just, amazing plate discipline don't strike out like they're slump prone right these guys are like Corey seager is slump prone he he will not go in a slump proof. ever slump proof. Yeah, slump proof and it's amazing to kind of look at guys like that and Jordan's kind of the same way he swings and misses like 50th 55th percentile in the league but he's also arguably the second best power hitter in the league and it's like he could hit 330 he can hit lefties he can hit righties and when you play in these playoff matchups it's like again not to discredit anything Aaron Judge is I would want Aaron Judge in my lineup every day of the week like I'm not saying I wouldn't want him there but there's mismatches right these guys Corey Seager Juan Soto Jordan Alvarez like they have no mismatches like there, there is not a pitcher other than the, than the fact that there's eight guys defensively that are trying to get them out, out, out in front of them. Like that's the only mismatch opportunity that you have for these guys. And it's super impressive to, to see what he's been able to do. And, he, and he's, he's somebody that, again, he had this great playoff in 2020. I mean, he's, he's a guy that hits elite pitching really well and he's doing it again. I mean, he hit that game tying home run on a really good pitch by Paul Seawald and, and it's just 
he's such a stud and and I think that I'm glad to see that he's getting a lot of the the credit because a lot of people were like why would you sign him to that big contract I think me and you were both like I would sign him to that big contract he's he's a ticking time bomb but it's been really cool to watch that yeah and and, and these guys are so rare like you said like pitching is like the pitching is so good at the big league level that if you're going to be a power guy you have to sacrifice swing and miss if you're not a power guy and you're going to be a high average contact, you know, guy that can, you know, gap power, still lose the ball, be good, you and take your walks, you know, you can cut down on the swing and miss a little bit. To do both of those things against the stuff that you see on a daily basis is incredible. Like, to, like, Seeger, Jordan, so, like, that's why they're some of the most feared hitters in baseball. And again, I say it all the time. You say, you talk about guys being slump proof, walking, really helps guys be slump proof. There's outliers to everything, but having the ability, you know, and that's why you see some of these, you know, streaker, you know, Javier Baez and and the free swingers, Wilson Contreras, Trey Turner. Like that's why they can go on these long stretches of slump because they swing, swing, swing. Nick Cassianos, they swing, 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 swing. You don't control the zone. You have nothing to kind of level that out. Um, because it's a lot easier to go 0 for 2 when you're missing pitches because you're, you know, you're just off a little bit. With two walks, you don't ever feel like you're really – you don't start to press that. I'm, I'm on base still. I'm helping the team. If you're a free swinger and you're going through one of those stretches because it's so hard to hit where you're not coming through and you're just missing your pitches and then you start expanding, that's when those things really hit the downturn. But it's good. Before we get out of here, can I give you my one fun fact? This yeah. was just a, a fun thing that was interesting that was brought to my attention. The New York Yankees and their fan base were in full meltdown mode this year, correct? They finished 82 and 80. The Arizona Diamondbacks won 84 games in the World Series. <laughs> that like just I don't even know what that proves or what that means, but it's just funny to think about. Like the New York Yankees and their fan base, it was like fire the manager, fire the GM. Fans were were losing it. Like and they won 82 games. The team that won two more games in them this year. This is in the World Series, so I, I guess that speaks to the new playoff format, maybe. But how close, yeah, or or how, how delusional much, Yankees fans are? I don't know how, what speaks how to. delusional Yankees fans are. How just much of a crap Weird shoot baseball playoff is. baseball yeah. is. Yeah. It's it, it proves everything that you're trying to get across with it. Like it, <laughs> everything that you, you you're trying to hint at, it, it proves. Um, you could you could take that a whole whole wealth of ways, but yeah. Um, Obviously, we got, like I mentioned, game threes tonight. Got a lot of good baseball. We'll try to get back on here. You're on the road this week. Um, so another we're going to try our best. Um, another wedding this coming weekend. Then you're back in town, and then I leave. And, and so we're, we're really trying to get in, in a groove here. Uh, we got some cool things planned that are now, as of tomorrow, two days, uh, going to be the, that month. Um, so we got some cool stuff planned for the month of November, month of December, Month of January, getting back into some college baseball content with that right around the corner. Obviously, super exciting. Uh, so keep keep on the lookout for those things. But Dan, any closing thoughts before we let our listeners get out of here? How awesome is it now that we can say we're like three months away from college baseball being back? Yeah, it's like it's awesome. I can't wait. Especially, I don't want to jinx what we got on tap. It's not finalized. We got some stuff in the works. But if if it goes how we're trying to lay it out, it's going to be probably our favorite college baseball season for both of us, I would say. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely, definitely, definitely. And our, I know our listeners will enjoy that as well. But thank you to all of you for listening, for tuning in as this will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every twice per week. If, if we're not traveling, if we're not running around, we're trying our best. We're working on it, but always hitting your feed uh, on those days. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Backside GB, Instagram at Backside Ground Balls, and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.